Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John Damaris. And this week, we have a very special guest, John Lennon, who's going to be doing a little bit different role. He's going to be interviewing me because I finally built a list that I felt like talking about. Um, as always, I'm joined on the podcast by Nick Nadavati, who's one of the best players in 40K. And he'll introduce John in just a minute. But before we do that, we just have a little bit of housekeeping. We wanted to just remind everybody that we are running a huge contest and if you go to 40kprizes.com, you'll see that we have over $5,000 in prizes that we're giving away. And all you have to do to sign up is go to the website and sign up. Now, there's a lot of other bonus ways to enter. One of the most important is uh, you can enter a code that we give out on this podcast at the end of the podcast. Uh, you just enter it and you get five entries just for doing that. Um, as always, you can find us on the Frontline Gaming Network. You should take a moment to check out the other podcasts on that network. We're very, very... Um, good at focusing on competitive 40k so if that's your interest uh, being subscribed to the frontline gaming network just makes total sense okay john one second also um if you're listening to this as not a patron i believe this is your last day to sign up for the contest is that correct mm -hmm. so you might want to get on that if you haven't already been on that guys there's tons and tons of prize support over five thousand dollars from various different companies and sponsors while the information is the website link below but it is literally your last day if you're listening to this as a not patron so you know, don't dilly-dally. Yeah, because this episode will be released on Monday, May 25th, and the contest ends at midnight on May 25th, Central Standard Time. So uh, definitely don't, don't put it off too much. You want to get those entries and win those sweet prizes. Okay, back to our regularly scheduled podcast. Nick, why don't you go ahead and introduce our co-host, John, and talk a little bit, uh, Lennon, I guess, to keep it less confusing, to uh, talk a little bit about his accomplishments, and then we'll get started with talking about the list that I put together. Sure thing. So Mr. Lennon here is no stranger to the Art of War. He's one of our coaches on the Art of War 40K.com. He's on uh, now the Tallahassee stream team. And of course, he's been on the Art of War 40K podcast. So if you recognize his voice, that's probably why. Uh, he's been on to talk about white scars. And I think he's also interviewed me before on Tyranids. Uh, and now he's here to interview Mr. Damaris, who apparently thinks he's good at 40K now. And this is weird Dark Angel, Space Wolf, Imperial Fist rainbow space marine army right john why don't you or mr lennon why don't you say a few words <laughs> absolutely i uh, appreciate you guys having me on uh certainly i've enjoyed being on the last couple times i uh, really like the list that uh mr damaris put together so i'm very excited to talk about uh the kind of soup space marine aspect that's starting to emerge now um that's about it uh, you can also find me on the uh, florida man 40k podcast as well as with the art of war perfect great so John Damaris, why don't you tell us what your list is from top to bottom? Before I do that, I want to talk a little bit about my play style and sort of what I was after. So, you know, I've been playing competitively in 40K for almost a year now. Might be just a little past a year. Uh, well, not competitively. I didn't go to my first event until June. Uh, but uh, in War Machine, I was known as a list creator. I built a lot of lists that became meta lists um, in that game, and and I've sort of played my own play style, which I would describe as a catcher's mitt. I often play the game in a way to force you to engage with me on my terms, 
and come to my side of the table and let me abuse you. And I like to tie knots. So I like to create complex situations that allow you to make mistakes. So I like to play a lot of mini games within the game. And it's taken me this long, and a lot of this podcast has helped me a lot, to sort of understand how 40K works so I could actually start building my own lists that really played to my play style and strengths. So this is the first list that I've built that feels like me, which is why I wanted to come and talk about it on the podcast. And it's, uh, it's, it's just a, it's a really um, testament to how much coaching can help you because I, I wouldn't be at the point I'm at right now if I hadn't you know, contacted Nick and had him at the Art of War help me uh, really develop my chop. And what this podcast actually is going to be is a good example of us talking through my list is a lot like what getting coaching is like from either of these guys who are both coaches at the Art of War. So I wanted to make sure to make that point too. Do you guys have any questions about my playstyle? Do you think it's one that works in 40K? I guess it'd be my first question. It's a really interesting, unique style. I mean, I've never described anything as a catcher's mitt per se, but I get the analogy. And then a style that forces your opponent to make mistakes or just presents him with lots and lots of problems, which he has to then untangle correctly, otherwise he digs himself into a deeper hole, is one that is successful. I know Mark Perry, one of my playtesting partners down here in Florida, he often tries something along those lines. Um, it's not my personal play style, but that's not to say it's not successful at all. So it'll be really interesting to see how your perspective and my perspective meet on this one, so it should be really good. I always love the play style where you force your opponent to engage you, uh, kind of being able to sit down and say, I'm going to win the game if you don't do anything. Now, let come on. I always like to approach the game like that. Uh, it's certainly something I like to do. Uh, the catcher's mitt, an catcher's mitt analogy is pretty cool. Um, I'll admit I'm terrible at baseball, but uh, I think it works here. Yeah, so um, we'll, we'll talk about it a little more. I'm going to go through the list first, and I want to say from the jump, this is a list work in progress. So I've tried a lot of different modules that I'm swapping in and out of that list, and we'll talk about it as we go through it. Um, I'm just going to give you the one that I'm, I'm, I've got currently that I'm playing. <laughs> but, uh, and just a, not, I'm not trying to like humble brag or anything, but I've played this list or a version of this list a few times against some very good players and had success. I think I beat Ennis Wilson and um, uh, Anthony Birdsong with it, uh, different versions of it. And they're both very, very good players. And I haven't, I haven't played a lot of games, a lot of test games with it, but the concept seemed to work in a high-level game. Uh, both those guys play a very high-level game. So um, I think this list has legs, but we'll talk and, and explore and see if it does. Less words, well, more list. More or less. Let's, let's go through it. So uh, basically, it's a three-detachment Space Marine soup list. Uh, the first detachment is a um, Dark Angel... Uh, uh, Supreme Command Detachment that's got an interrogator chaplain, and we'll talk about what he's doing in there because he's very important to the list. A Raving Wing Talon Master, uh, who's the Warlord, who has the uh, move and shoot with no penalty um, Warlord trait, and then he's got a, a Relic, so that gives him plus one to hit, which means he hits on twos and has plus six inches to range, which actually is very important. Uh, then I have another Raving Wing Talon Master who's kind of throwaway. Um, but he's he's just more shots and, and can run out and grab an objective for you pretty safely or whatever. And then I've got Samael and Sableclaw. So there's four models in this in this uh, Supreme Command detachment. The next attachment is a battalion detachment. Uh, it's Space Wolves. And stop me if you haven't heard this before, but I've got Ragnar Blackmane, who is point per point, I think, the most efficient model in the game. We can certainly have that discussion. There might be some other that are close to him. But for me, I think he's he's just so stupid. Um, 
I've got a Wolf Lord with a Jump Pack, Power Fist, and Storm Shield. And then I've got a Wolf Priest who's got a Jump Pack, Power Fist, and then you know gives you some litanies. And we'll talk about why I've chosen Chaplains for this list. I think they're they're kind of important. And then the Wolf Priest doubles as an Apothecary, which uh, is so broken with if somebody fails to kill Ragnar, like healing him back up is just a nightmare for people. They just absolutely hate it, or the Wolf Lord both. Um, I've got three units of Intercessors. Uh, I think, if I remember correctly, two of these units have... Um, yeah, two of these units have auto bolt rifles because they fit into my playstyle a little better. So a lot of times, I get them out of you know their uh, whatever their their transport, and then I uh, use them to sort of you know cover up places in the board to stop deep strikers. And then on turn three, they're moving back into the fight, and I like to be able to advance them because eventually I want to charge them. But allowing them to shoot three times after they advance is is pretty cool. So I'm testing out the. Auto bolt rifles, I think they're a pretty good inclusion for the way I want to play them. And then I've got a third uh, intercessor squad. Um, and then they have, I've got four impulsors, right? So I've got, uh, they all have shield domes, and uh, one of them's pimped out for Ragnar if I want him to ride by himself, or he can ride with some of the intercessors. And then, you know, like I said, a total of four impulsors. Impulsors are so key to the play style, um, which we'll talk about a lot. Uh, but they're, they basically allow me to play a very flexible game. So in games where I'm playing playing against somebody that's, you know, very passive and wants to sit in their corner and shoot at me, I can run out and grab all the objectives quickly and easily. Or if they're a very aggressive army and they're coming to me, being screened out with impulsors is a nightmare for anybody that wants to deep strike or just wants to charge. Like they hate it. They absolutely hate it. You know, they're not very easy to wrap. I mean, they're just they're just a great unit altogether. And then the last detachment is, stop me if you've heard this before, is a Imperial Fist detachment uh, with Master Artisans and Stealthy. But I want to talk to you guys about potentially switching that Stealthy out for something else, because I'm not sure that it's really good in this particular instance. But it's just three Thunderfire Cannons and a Lieutenant. Um, the Lieutenant, just to save points, I would like to have gotten a Captain in there, um, but I just I couldn't find the points for it. But it's literally just to um, allow me to force interaction, right? So I've got... You know, basically, I've got uh, the Talon Masters and Samael, and then these three Thunderfires that just make it hard for your opponent to ignore me because I'm just going to be killing stuff every turn, and so they 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 just they they can't not participate in the game, um, and that's the list. So, what are your questions? Well, I would have asked a bunch, but you answered a lot preemptively. Thanks, John. Why don't you let us do our jobs for once? Oh, sorry. Well, I like to talk. What can I say? <laughs> um, okay, here's my first question. You're running a lot of standard detachments. You're running a Samael and two Talonmaster Supreme Command, and then you're throwing in a chaplain. Why is there a chaplain? Uh, well, a couple reasons. Number one, the interrogator chaplain specifically has the Deathwing keyword, which allows me to pay a CP to give him an additional Warlord ability, which is um, watched, which just allow, gives me a tool in the toolbox to just stop a, a psychic spell from happening without a roll, without a range. So anybody that's got a big game plan that like is looking to break the game open with like a warp time or, you know, even, even if I like in a, a case where a super smite goes off on one of your characters, you can just be like, no, I cancel that. That I'm just not, not letting that happen. So it gives you a lot of flexibility in your gameplay. And again, we're talking about tying that knot for your opponent. Now they have to think about, well, is he going to use watch to stop me from this, this from going off? And it makes them have to play around that for a lot of the game, right? So that's why he's in there. The secondary reason why he's in there is um, Lion and the Wolf is a very powerful stratagem pregame, 
which gives um, plus one strength, plus one attack, plus one leadership, I think, to a Dark Angel and a Wolf Infantry character. Well, if I don't have a, a Dark Angel Infantry character, it's not really worthwhile. But I can make him and the Wolf Lord uh, both of those plus stats for a point. And it gets them into kind of important numbers, right? It gets you past strength eight, eight if you want to, on your power fist to, um, you know, break, you know, toughness eight armor. And then it also gets them uh, an additional attack, which is always welcome. It just makes them more consistent. Oh, and it gives them a plus one to hit. So he hits on twos with his power fist after that. Now, the Wolf Lord already does because he's a space wolf. But still, it's not not to be discounted, right? So um, that's that's why he's in there. Gotcha. Okay, so he's not cheap. He's like in the neighborhood of 100 points. Um, and you're paying that premium for basically the tool of watch, which doesn't always matter. Like, just, let's say you're playing Tau, they don't have powers. Not every power in the game warrants taking this guy. Like, you know, Space Runner just brings a token librarian. You know, do you really want to spend a CP on a World of Trade to block, like, Might of Heroes? Who cares? So, obviously, you know, the theoretical, I stop a warp time, you're playing a screwed, aha, or I stop a quick in, or whatever it might be. Yeah, it's huge. Do you find it's worth it to pay this 90 whatever he costs premium for the option? He's still a chaplain, right? So chaplains give you a lot of options. So, for example, um, what I do sometimes is, like, if I were playing against Raven Guard, for example, uh, I could give uh, that chaplain the Litany of Faith, and so I would get a five up on all the mortals that they would get coming in from their sniper rifles, which probably takes me out from the range of getting a bunch of my characters killed to maybe not, right? Um, which is kind of a big deal. It makes it a lot harder for them to kill them or gives them something to think about. Uh, you can also, I can also just take that chaplain and give him Mantra of Strength. So, you know, he hits on 2+, plus. suddenly he's doing D3 plus 1 damage, um, and, you know, he's like strength, I don't know, like 11 or 12 or something, something dumb, um, with uh, 5 attacks. So, he becomes plenty beady to pay for himself and be a fine piece, uh, you know, and... You, even in other matchups, I can just give him plus one to hit to make the other Talon Master hit on twos, or I can give plus one to, to wound on the nearest visible. Yeah, just the Litany's have decent value. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there's a lot of ways that I can use him that where he pays for himself, and he's a tool in the toolbox. So he's sort of multi-use. Um, another big uh, thing that I really like in my list designs is a lot of flexibility and choice in order to how to tailor my list to best give me the best chance to win in any given matchup, right? So this is just a tool that gives me a lot of a lot of things, a lot of access to a lot of things that let me do a lot of cool stuff. Well, and it's then, also stuff you can all pick game by game, which is really correct. great because any litany you want for the specific matchup is great. You're playing Raven Guard, but they got their mortal wounds, and we are going to talk about specific matchups in the next half, but Raven Guard, shoot snipers at your characters. You got a five-channel pain from that. You want plus one wound against Imperial Knights because that's really useful, and you get that. And then block a second power against chaos. Why not? So, out of curiosity, what's your rule of thumb for buying that warlord trait? Watch, like, is it just whenever they have a psyker, I'm taking it to throw a wrench in their plans, or is it specific to if they have a linchpin psychic power? It's very specific to matchup by matchup, right? If a lot of their plan is around a psychic phase, and it could be it could be any number of things, right? Like, um, oh, what is the tyranid power where they get exploding sixes? Yeah, that can be really gross, right? So stopping that for a turn might be worth it, might not. So, so that's, that, that's really what I was asking. Yeah, like, yes. not. it's not like you have, it's the great powers, warp time, quicken, protect, fortune, jinx, doom, whatever. Those, obviously, you want watched, and you're going to want it every single turn, but unfortunately, you only get it once. 
things that just have select powers to make their quality of life better. Like Tyrion, it's a fantastic example. You would still take it there and just make your life suck a little more. Yeah, because I, I might even use it um, in a in a. Sometimes you end up in situations when when your characters go in where they're trying to smite them off the board, um, and so just stopping a smite is big game because they they can't get accomplished what they want to get accomplished right but it's it's a case by case game by game um sort of determination that you make and then you can you can also do things like i don't know stop the five plus um feel no pain because you know that that is the unit you're going to go after you know for whatever reason you know you you know you know you're going to shoot their their hive guard and stopping that on Turn one might be worth a CP to me, so that I can put my thunder fires under their hive guard and kill a couple extra. Um, because they're going to spend two CP every turn to fire that hive guard, right? It's to me, it, it's it's very flexible. It just it depends on the matchup, right? We'll we'll get into individual matchups, and it's one of the things I want to talk to you guys about because I haven't fully figured out exactly where that line is. I'm sort of experimenting with it right now, but why don't I move on for now, and then we'll come sure. back to that thought. Uh, John, do you have any questions? Or Lennon, do you have any questions you want to ask Damaris? Um, not about the chaplain. I think that, that'll be a good conversation for the second half of this episode. Um, I guess I would go more into the Space Wolf detachment. So, obviously, you know, Ragnar is self-explanatory. We know why he's there. Um, and if you don't, go read his data sheet. He kills. Um, you've got the two characters with jump packs and power fists. And I was a little curious, uh, you know, the standard is kind of the Thunder Hammer, and the Power Fist is cheaper, but uh, still, you see the Thunder Hammer more often than not. And I was kind of curious your thought process on going Power Fist on the Chaplain, who already has a melee weapon, and on the Wolf Lord instead of a Thunder Hammer. Well, it's because I can get four Power Fists um, across the list for the cost of one uh, one Thunder Hammer, more or less. It's not exactly right, but... And so I get, I get a Power Fist on... The Wolf Lord, so he trades, he he downgrades a little bit, but both my chaplains get power fists, and I just find that that strength, uh, especially especially when I use the Line and the Wolf, um, so I can give the chaplain the Space Wolf chaplain mantra of strength, I can give the Wolf Lord Line and the Wolf, and I can give the Interrogator chaplain Line and the Wolf because you you know you pick two characters, and now they all uh, break through uh, toughness eight um, on threes, right? Uh, and that's that's big game. It makes those guys way more consistent in just plowing through stuff like Lehman Rust tanks or you know knights or whatever. Uh, and so I felt like I would rather have also have my threats spread out. So if I've got one Thunderhammer, I don't think that's near as good as having a bunch of characters that can lay the smack down. Uh, and and I've found with the extra attacks, Touch of the Wild, um, and 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 all of that that they're they're they pretty consistently take down what I need to take down. Um, you know, two of them take down old one eye, or one of them takes down, you know, another character in combat pretty easy, that kind of thing. So, are you at all concerned about specific brackets? And that's really why I think the Thunder Hammer uh, shines over the Power Fist, because you're going to something that's three wounds per model, for example. Now it doesn't matter that you have so many attacks, it's essentially two hits to kill one dude, especially there's a lot of Centurions out and about in the world these days. So, you can't kill oh. a with one Power Fist attack, you have to take two. Versus a Thunderhammer, if you can get it to damage four, which I actually don't remember if Space Wolves have after crafted or not, uh, as a relic. I don't think they. I don't think they do. So I don't think I can get a Thunderhammer to damage four, actually, which is one of the issues. So again, I'd rather have more attacks, and um, 
more more models that can do that, right? And I, I think if you're going to have to take two attacks to kill him anyway, which you probably are, I'd rather have the nine point. You, know, you add a, like an element of ruin in there a little bit. I understand that. So you, you lose a little bit of consistency into um, things like uh, Centurions. But then again, Centurions don't bother my list as much as most lists, in my opinion, um, because they're going to be screened out by impulsors and sure they can put a million shots into an impulsor and they might kill one but i actually don't care if the impulsors die and then they're going to be far enough back to you know where i don't have to deal with them too much um i can tremor shell them if i want to keep them sort of sort of from affecting me too much uh that kind of thing so or i can just like i can send my characters into centurions and they'll kill them too um it's it's i don't know it's kind of a Kind of a mixed bag. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think Centurions are a big hole in the list, or? Well, we'll get to that in the matchup thing. I think more. Yeah, I don't just think it's a big hole, but it's definitely one we'll talk about. Yeah. yeah. Just to provide a quick pointer, Space Wolves can mastercraft their weapons, oh. um, but um, I, I still see what you mean, where you may not need that, um, just because those specific matchups and Centurions are the obvious one. Um, yeah, you, you can do other things, and Space Wolves can get the extra attacks to kind of try to get around that. Um, also, uh, I think it should be pointed out that with the Space Wolf um, Chaplain Chant, you can get any one character pretty high damage anyway against vehicles. So it's, I think there's less matchups than normal where that would be a, a downside. Yeah, and the, the other thing I'll point out, Nick, too, is I can make um, a lot of my guys wound Centurions on twos, right? Because I'm going to be strength 10 on all three of my Power Fists. And that's kind of a big deal too. Sometimes of, they also have transhuman, of course, but I don't want to get too I specific. Right, right, yeah, of course they do. But um, all right, the other question I had from just looking at your list is: you have an imperial fist under fire spearhead. Now everyone on Earth knows what this does, knows why you take it, etc. You've taken it incorrectly, or at least non-standardly, I should say. You've taken a lieutenant instead of a captain, which you said you wanted one. That 14-point difference is reroll ones to wound versus reroll ones to hit, and the captain has an invul that doesn't matter at all um, for the way you're using it. Yep. The reason the captain is so much better than the lieutenant for this specifically is that you have access to the Eye of Hypnoth Relic, which is reroll ones to wound. So on a lieutenant, buying that is absolutely redundant. On a captain, it's now reroll ones and reroll ones to hit and to wound for yep. the 14-point and one CP premium now i look at your list and uh, to be fair i don't have it literally written right in front of me but you said you meant you said 10 point auto you, you take two units of 10 point auto bolt rifle dudes or five points and five points so that's already 10 of your 14 um yep. could you not scrounge four more or were you so married to those auto bolt rifles that it wasn't worth doing i could not scrounge four more points <laughs> that's where i feel like having a power fist from the squad is probably worth it personally Okay. Um, potentially, yeah, and and it's something that that I've thought about, right? So, uh, it was I like having the power fists because my characters end up mixing it up a lot, and I just I just enjoy them pounding the crap out of things uh, because they all hit on twos and and you know D three damage and strength ten. It's just good. another option to consider. There is you could turn one of your thunderfires into a whirlwind, which is a seven point gain. It's a little less indirect fire. But it gains you another vehicle chassis, and typically those things survive into late game. And one thing I do like about late game whirlwinds instead of thunderfires is that they can then start driving out, be another layer of character screen where thunderfire moves three inches, 
Um, it's a vehicle, so it's not just going to roll over and die, especially late game. And like, you can just go out, grab an objective quickly when something else, no one else can. No, I actually like that idea quite a bit. Um, so that, that might be a worthy change. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. So like I said, this list is very much in flux, right? I don't think it's solved yet. Uh, no, of course. And this is, these are questions I'm asking both as your coach and also as your co-host on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, I like that idea actually quite a bit because you're right. Um, if there is one thing that sort of happens with this list is you do eventually you do run out of character screens pretty early in the game. But usually by the time I've run out of my character screens, I'm already sort of in your face with them where they're not being screened anyway because they're punching you in the face really hard. Um, and I'm it trying can, to- Even like in a really weird corner case scenario, your captain himself and then maybe one of your tech marine gunners, if your Thunderfires run out of stuff that they care about shooting, they can now become your backfield objective grabbers while this whirlwind keeps them safe and moves out in like some weird corner case scenarios. Yeah, no, I I don't disagree. I absolutely, I think it's, that's probably a change I would test. I think it, it sounds like it'd be pretty good. Because, I mean, the difference between a shooting from a, a whirlwind and a thunderfire is, it is it's significant, yeah. but it's not, it's not going to make or break the game plan for me, typically. No, especially because you already have two thunderfires ready to roll. It's You're yeah. losing out on mathematically four shots per turn, which is, is not insignificant, but it's also, do you need it? It's just food for thought. The other question yeah. I had is why are you not Imperial Fists? You are Imperial Fist successors. So Master Artisans is great. We all know Master Artisans is great. But the entire reason of running Imperial Fist artillery is the ignores cover rule. And you've just said, I don't care about that. Oh, I didn't realize I lost that. So I'll just make them Imperial Fist. That's just my mistake. <laughs> right. Classic John yeah. cheating on the podcast. I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I thought I thought for some reason I yeah, for some reason, I thought that they got their chapter. I don't know. I just... The, uh, you know, when you sent me this list earlier, I was going to ask you to avoid finding out on the podcast this exact moment, but I did because I figured that you had a legit reason, so I was going to ask you to uh, just kind of learn myself. Well, that's, just, that's a new player mistake, right? And this is the kind of thing that coaching can help you with. Uh, <laughs> but the and to be very honest, the Imperial Fist um, detachment, I've just added to the list. So in the in previous iterations, I've played both um, a, a relic Scorpius. Uh, I've been playing that quite a bit, uh, and I've put that either not as it's not a uh, a fist. It's been in e- either the Blood Angel or in a Dark Angel sort of uh, detachment, and then added some other things around that because uh, obviously the fist detachment is a little more expensive. Um, one of the one of the modules when I played the Scorpius that I kind of liked was seven uh, Deathwing Knights and a Ravenwing. Um, uh, apothecary so it allows me to get that six inch deep strike uh, because that forces your opponent to screen which means that my my, my uh, talent masters get to eat <laughs> so and that also gives me another like way to screen my characters because like if I have to putting seven deathwing knights in a, like a magic box in the center of the board screens your characters for a really long time so uh, it's 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 another module that I played with, you know. Uh, so that's just it's one of the things I've considered. So uh, along those lines too, another pro whirlwind captain combo instead of lieutenant, you're going to lose master artisans for cover because that's just better. And the way you make up for that is by rerolling all your ones to hit and rerolling all your ones to wound. It's essentially like you kept master artisans. Yeah, no, you're you're not wrong. 
<laughs> yeah, I just wanted to make it abundantly yeah, yeah. clear. Uh, I mean, this is one of those cases where my inexperience shows, right? Because um, I, you know, even though I've been playing for a year, I've only been playing for a year. <laughs> there is that. All right, so I'm going to ask a little bit different, you know, van question uh, away from any specific part of the list. I kind of want to talk about the overall play style. Um, so yes, you like to, you know, you be the catcher's mitt and kind of force your opponent to respond to you. How do you like to play with the impulsors? Like you've got a lot of characters, you have impulsors to screen them, and you've got, uh, you know, indirect fire so that if your opponent does nothing, you will be chipping him a little bit every turn. How do you yep. like to use the impulsors? I use them for a lot of things. Uh, primarily, it, it's sort of a, what, what is my opponent trying to do? So if my opponent is trying to assault me, a lot of times those assault armies don't really have any guns that you worry about. You know, I'm talking about like a Sisters of Battle or a Blood Angels list. I just park them right out in front of my army and I'm like, come at me, bro. So if they, and I zone out, you know, wherever I'm building my castle so they can't deep strike and, you know, get a charge without getting minus two. And then I, I, I dare them to charge the Impulsors because I want them to charge the Impulsors because if they do, they're in range of all my characters owning them. And they get to kill an impulsor. Like I, I actually don't care. They're they're there to die. They eventually die. Um, it's a little different in other games. So in some games, like if if they're pretty range dominant, um, I will either use the impulsors to run out and grab objectives and get bonus points early and really put them on their back foot and try to, at my best to hide them to cut down the fields of fire into them. Um, or I'll play a really cagey game where I hide the impulsors, make sure I'm not getting behind on secondaries and deny them any good shots right uh, it, it'll make it difficult for them to you know shoot with anything but indirect fire into my impulsors depending on board right you know a lot of it is terrain dependent but if i can play so i've got like three game plans that i play with them basically one is screen my army against the melee threat another is play hide and seek with them and then the third the third one is rush out and get all of the bonus points and take over the board um, and I, it just depends on the matchup and the board and the scenario and all that fun stuff. But I've used all three plans, I guess. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. With um, your impulsors, uh, follow-up question. You use them to obviously move around the table and get you some points, but also primarily as a screen for your characters. Is that like right in front of your characters, or are they like just casually closer to the enemy and your characters might be 20 inches behind them? How do, how, what's the proximity between the impulsor and your own characters? Uh, depends. Um, like they'll be further in front of uh, the characters if if I, don't, I basically they'll be at least far enough to where you can't declare them uh, if they're trying to deep strike as a deep strike target, right? So sometimes they'll be close, but typically I'll push them out a little further um, because it just gives me more of the table that I'm controlling, which is what I want. Uh, as long as I'm not opening myself up too much, and then one of the reasons why I like playing space well is not just the efficiency, uh, the sixth itch intervention with armor of Russ, because that's the way people like to deal with talent masters is they want to come in and punch them and if i if i have my you know my my wolf lord with the armor of Russ hanging around those talent masters it sort of creates this situation for my opponent where they're like well i want to get in on that uh and it's usually like by the time they can get the opportunity to do that they've already spent a bunch of cps um and so like interrupting isn't a great option uh and so like i <sighs> It's hard for me to describe exactly how I position uh, the impulsors as I'm also learning to play this list, but I found that I have more success when I push them out a little ways from the characters. You know, I'm talking like in the six to 10 inch range um, so that they, it just makes getting past them 
to get into the characters a lot harder. So sometimes I'll put them in a wall, so you have to go around them. And sometimes I'll spread out a little more. Um, I've done both uh, in different matchups. Gotcha. I was asking also because if you are keeping them kind of near your characters, you are running the risk of running having them explode. Now, it's only on a 1-6 chance, but if it happens, it happens. And I've been on the wrong no. end of that CP reroll. And D6 no, mortals for everything nearby sucks. Yeah, no, that's uh, I do try. That's why I said six to ten inches. <laughs> yeah, that's, I wanted that to be said. So I'm glad you did. Yeah, that was not an accident, an accidental number, right? Because, yeah, right, right. Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's bad when that happens. And uh, I also uh, have played a couple different versions. So like sometimes the Dark Angels are the battalion, uh, but I'll still give Ragnar a an impulsor if I want to get him into a better position early in the game. So he's got his own ride. Um, and yeah, so it just gives me options. <clears throat> So it's a very almost non-interactive stylist, basically, is what I'm getting. You shoot your out-of-line of artillery at your opponent, and he can't shoot them back because there's a wall between you and him. And then you have these Talon Masters and Sammy who shoot your opponent, and he can't shoot them back because there's Impulsors, ideally also behind a wall. But there's, there's Impulsors, so he has to shoot them first. So that's a really good strategy. Basically, when you can damage your opponent, he can't damage you back in any meaningful way. You're in great shape. That's entirely the, the premise of the Tau faction and how a lot of strong lists are made, like Iron Hands. It's, it's good. So when someone can get around that, and a great example is close combat, without getting too much specific, if someone just charges you, you know, the character will be damned. They're just going to punch you. So you, you mentioned Armor of Rust and the Wolf Lord being like a a combination to kind of help you with that. Obviously, you have six-inch heroic intervention, so if they come and try to punch a Talonmaster, you heroic intervention, then armor bust makes them fight last, and then you chop them in half with your Wolf Lord. That's not easy to play around, but it's also not impossible to play around. Is there any... Like, is that a big threat to you? Someone who's just, like, bum-rushing you in close combat stuff and not caring about the fact that he can't shoot you? Well, normally I can see it coming, so I can plan accordingly, right? So I know I know where they can deep strike. So I can plan accordingly for that. Usually most of the really big threat ranges come off a spell, so I can stop it with warded. Uh, so I'm sort of like tying this knot for my opponent, like, well, do you wanna do you wanna try to come come in? Because that's ultimately that's ultimately the situation I'm creating. I I've gotta come in and, and kill those characters. And they're actually the only the well, let me back up a second. The talent masters are pretty easy to care to kill because they don't have an invul in combat. But they are toughness six, which makes them more survivable than you think they're going to be. And there's also a one CP strat to give them a five up invul in in close combat. So you you can make it sort of deceptively hard to come in and punch down those characters. And I usually play like this character death ball, right? That is all within five inches of the wolf lord, so I can armor a rescue. But like you said, you can play around that. But it's also hard to get frontage on any number of characters because they're all sort of right next to each other. So then, yeah, you're getting attacks, but you're not maybe getting enough attacks to get through invuls and kill those characters, um, that kind of thing. You, you don't get to get as much progress as you'd like. Now, there are some exceptions to that, right? Like Possessed, for example, getting in on all those characters, probably pretty bad for me. But again, without warp time, that's not going to be easy for them, right? Uh now maybe maybe it just puts it off a turn, but it allows me to do damage to his army. Uh, and, and well, like I said, we'll get we'll get into that um, in its specific matchups. But that's that's sort of how the list plays. Is I have this kind of ball of characters that's fairly mobile, right? They all have jump packs, 
except for Ragnar, who's got an impulsor that he needs to ride in sometimes. But they all have jump packs or they're land speeders. So I can move this death ball, you know, uh, on the backside of my castle to get shots from my rave, uh, my my talent masters onto whatever my opponent gives me. Because a lot of times there's like L's and stuff, and they just can't hide from that 16 inch movement uh, in either direction. Like it's just difficult. Like I almost always can line up shots uh, with those talent masters, and then I'm just trying to position in a way that I can keep those space wolf characters to really discourage you from coming in or or punish you for it. Right? Like you might come in. You might even kill both Talon Masters, but then whatever came in is going to die immediately. Um, and and in order to have enough punch to kill both of those guys, like you need something pretty serious uh, to get there. And I'm I'm also trying to run you out of CPs while we're playing that game, so that you know it makes armor rust. Like armor rust takes over the game as soon as the opponent can't um, interrupt your charges, because then it's just like, okay, now I'm. I'm all but unchargeable by you unless you can get multiple units in. Or figure out a way to pin pin the Wolf Lord, which which can be done, but I try to screen him and make him hard to get to so he can hop over my guys and get there um, in some way. Uh, but that's a that's a really technical positioning thing uh, that's kind of hard to describe on the podcast. I don't know. Did that make sense, Lee? Yeah. I mean, I, I got what you're saying. I don't know. John, do you, do you follow that? <laughs> yeah, it makes sense to me. I, I can certainly follow in that. Okay, cool. Maybe uh, for... Do we need to like break it down a little bit for newer players? Because I feel like that's it's sort Probably of that's, that's your job on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So like, um, if I were to describe it, I, I, the armor of rust makes you fight last in combat and takes away the charge bonus, so you're no longer fighting first due to charging. Um, and so if somebody charges in to my my characters and they get armor of rust, which is just basically I get to choose, at the start of the fight phase, I get to choose someone that's within one inch of the wolf lord. Um, so if the Wolf Lord has, you know, a six-inch intervention and he's got a jump pack so he can hop over guys that are in the way. This is pretty important, by the way, because it's easy to get blocked off otherwise. Um, if I put all of my characters at a, at, at a minimum explanation within five inches of the Wolf Lord, then by definition, if somebody can attack one of my characters or makes a successful charge because they have to move within an inch, I can intervene into that, right? Uh, things that you have to be careful of is... is not allowing them to charge something and you know roll into uh pile in into yeah pile in into uh a, a range so there is ways to play around it but you just have to be mindful in your this is very technical positioning right in order to make this work um against good players this episode is brought to you by hp instant ink no one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify. This is essentially stuff that we teach all the time in the the Art of War War Room, which is where we basically have our coaches teach stuff exactly like this on a high level and technical and use videos to supplement. So if you're not following us, you might want to check that out. We are also running a 20% promo code for the Art of War for the duration of this contest, which is AOW40K2020 when you sign up for that War Room. But anyways, I had another question kind of involving your allies, your Space Wolves and Dark Angels. That's they hate each other, but there's also kind of peanut butter and jelly with uh, the way you're using the armor of Russ and the Sammy and the Talon Masters, and then you have uh, 
line and the wolf literally is designed for them allying together they also have another cool combo which you're not taking advantage of at all i want to just highlight if you've thought about it and then why or not um space wolves have a room priest or many room priests that cast psychic powers and they have specifically a minus one to hit power Dark Angels have a different, but also minus one to hit power. Both of them, you cast 24 inches, goes off on a six. The enemy is minus one hit, and they stack together. Dark Angels go a step further. They have Mind Wipe, or mind, I think it's Mind Wipe, where they can make a model in your opponent's army permanently minus one to hit. So you can stack all this on under Riptides, Knights, or even just Units of Possessed. Um, make the Units of Possessed minus two to hit, make a Knight minus three to hit. Um, you can really debilitate your opponent's army. Now this... For the toolbox style of character army that you are playing, you know these guys seem to fit the bill pretty hard. So why have they been omitted? So funny, funny you should bring it up. Um, this is, uh, you know, I play Grey Knights and Eldar for my other armies, and I've had enough psychic phases go bad to where I'm just trying to build something that is maybe a little less psychic dependent. And so what I came to is I could use chaplains to get the flexibility I want in my lists. And then also have an invul on my character because librarians don't have an invul, and they punch harder. So it's it's so I've got this fighty character that if he fails to do his litany is not the end of the world. I can still use him to beat the tar out of something. Where a librarian sometimes they just you just have a psychic phase where everything fails, right? So it it ends it ends up introducing um, sort of a failure point in your list design. And so I'm experimenting right now. I'm trying it. Like, I'm certainly open to the idea of putting some librarians in, but those are expensive models. You know, like, two librarians is a talent master. Like, and what would I rather have? You know, 18, 18 shots that are strength five and strength six and AP minus one, or I would rather have minus one to hit on two different things or out minus two on one thing. I think there's a discussion to be had there, right? So, uh, so that's, that's kind of my thought process right now. Um, it, it would be interesting to try because, again, it gives you some other things too, like some denies in your army, mighty heroes. Um, uh, there, there's a lot of, they, they bring a lot of utility to the list, and it's, you're not wrong. It does give you options, and having options, I find, is powerful in games like this because when you have options, then you can tailor to really take advantage of everything that you have available to you, right? So, right. I was thinking from the perspective, it's just more tools in the toolbox and it, to characters, so you know, it just blends right in. But it's you're you gotta not. It's a good point. Like if there's an opportunity cost here, and like 200 points isn't cheap, which is essentially what two librarians cost more or less. That's, and also, like, I guess in thinking, I'm just thinking about it now. Um, do I want to put minus ones on your things, or do I want to hide impulsors so that that thing can't interact with me at all? Right. So, like, in a lot of cases, I'm going to create a situation where you can't really, you can't really meaningfully attack me anyway. So I don't need those psychic powers to make it your attacks meaningless because they're already countered by the character role and careful positioning, right? So not saying there's not uses, there definitely is, but it's yeah, not. I think that for his style of list, uh, the negatives to hit are a little bit less impactful uh, just because he isn't trying to take a hit from the biggest thing his opponent has. It's specifically trying to take that away. Where, you know, it's not bad to have a plan B, but if you spend too many points on plan B, you weaken plan A. And there's no longer a Castellan in the meta or that type of unit. And, you know, the, the closest thing to a Death Star right now would be uh, the Possessed Bomb and the pretty much every Death Star I can think of that you really want to slap all those powers on. 
is also going to get hamstrung by the potential to die the witch, like you know their warp time or their uh, their their str- their stronger invuln, whatever the case may be. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. No, I'm with it. And you, you phrased it well. Like putting too many points in the plan B doesn't matter if it's making plan A suck. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I can barely execute plan A. I don't need plans B, C, and D. So I'm still still on my training wheels. Get, get over it. <laughs> uh, cool. So the last couple of questions I had are more about how you run your list in. Uh, just the general principles of it. So, like, who's your warlord? What's your warlord traits? Do you normally take slash buy? Well, relics do you normally take slash buy for your various attachments? That kind of thing. And if it's matches specific, we can cover that next episode. It is, but like, but I, thumb. I I gave the Ravenwing Talonmaster the warlord because his two abilities that he he gets from that the relic and the uh, the warlord trait are useful in every game. So the warlord trait he gets is impeccable mobility, which allows him and everybody within six inches of him that's Raven Guard to move and shoot with no penalty. So not getting a minus one on all those heavy weapons is is big game, right? Uh, His relic gives him plus six inches of range, and it gives him plus one to hit. So now him and Sammy both hit on twos, reroll all misses, uh, you know, our strength five, strength six, whatever, um, and with no penalty to hit. And then, you know, they all, because Talon Masters are Talon Masters, they reroll ones to wound, so they become very, very uh, efficient and um, consistent. Like the damage that those Talon Masters and Sammy put out is very consistent with those those two buffs. And then the other thing that's great, the plus six inches of range doesn't seem like it'd be that big a deal, but it allows me a lot of positioning freedom because like you're trying to get things within 24 inches of something you want to shoot. Uh, so either your opponent's going to pull stuff so that it's going to pull something out of range, but Usually they can't pull out a range if I put the 30-inch the guy to be my last guy to shoot. Or I'm in tight quarters, and I want to kind of be at max range because of your melee threats or whatever. And so, like, the Talon Master with 24-inch range and Sammy are kind of 24 inches away from the things I want to shoot. And then behind them, I can place uh, this Warlord who's got a 30-inch range and just gives me a little more flexibility with my placement on those Talon Masters. Not super relevant in every turn of the game, but in some turns, it's a pretty big deal. So... For sure, for sure. And, and then, then uh, oh, other relics. So we talked about warded. I sometimes take that as an additional uh, warlord trait. Um, I sometimes take uh, the armor. Oh, I almost always take the armor of rust if they have something that threatens. Like I, I don't think I would take it against you know a parking lot if they're just going to sit up there and lob shells at me. Like whatever, uh, I don't need it. Um, but I almost always take the armor of rust. And then other things that I consider on a game by game basis. A lot of times I play with a Ravenwing apothecary in the list particularly if I'm playing the Death Knight module. But they've got a really cool relic that allows you to uh, model unit within three inches of the Apothecary gets minus one to their invul, which can be huge game in certain matchups. Um, and then I'm trying to think if there's... Occasionally I will consider... I haven't done this yet. Uh, you know, We talked about Lion and the Wolf, um, that pregame strategy, but I will also consider getting another um, Warlord trait to um, one of the Wolves and get them that... You know, once they've made an advance and a charge, allowing a bubble of advance and charge off of them, which is great for all the intercessors. Uh, Ragnar really appreciates being able to advance and charge. Um, it makes the list way more dangerous. So that's something that I would consider again. If I'm if I'm going to play, if my game plan is going to be to come out, because you're you're going to be very passive in your game plan, then those are the kinds of things that I would consider. Um, a lot of my game plan is driven by what 
my opponent's game plan is and me trying to thwart that in the best way I can, I guess. Gotcha. And then I imagine for the fists, you always buy the D3 extra CP gain as the Warlord trait? Uh, yeah, because why not? Is there any time where you would ever buy the Orbital Warlord trait instead? I don't know what that is. <laughs> You're going to have to help me out. So Just having a Warlord trait alternative to the D3 CP gain, which just once per game throws an Orbital Bombardment out. So sometimes you can get an Orbital instead of D3 CP. I might save the CP in that instance. I'm not sure an Orbital is worth more than uh, Touch of the Wild on Ragnar or that Wolf Priest. Um, so typically, I, I actually try to spend as little on pregame as I can because I only start with 10 CP. And I want as many CPs for Fight on Death and Touch of the Wild. Is like Basically, I'm happiest in my list if I'm spending my CP on that because I'm getting the most bang for my CP buck for the most part, right? Um, so that's... So a lot of times, like I won't take an extra warlord trait uh, for that uh, that extra CP because, I, like I said, I'd rather just I'd rather have, you know, touch of the wild or um, that kind of thing. I don't know. Does that touch the wild. I, I don't know that my name. Oh, that's a, f- a four up um, bonus. Or exploding hits. Okay. Exploding hits on you know Ragnar or. Yeah, I just don't want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's like maybe one of the best one CP strats in the game, particularly if you combine it with a two CP fight on death or a three CP fight again. Like it just becomes gross, super gross. Yeah, it's and then wolves also have the one CP reroll wounds, assuming you're finding something of a higher power level. Which anything worth hitting is typically a higher power level than a. Hey, you want to hear another little bit of tech? They also have a reroll wounds if you're within six inches of a rune priest, or not a rune priest. Sorry, wolf priest. Uh, it's like called mentor or something like that. Uh, so even if it like if Ragnar's attacking something that for some reason is the same power level as him, he can still get reroll once to wound. So that's just great. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's 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 a like really corner case thing that's probably never going to come up. That's good to remember though. That's... Yeah, but you still have that option. Uh, that's one of like I was talking to Innis about the list, and he's like, "Why why the why the wolf priest?" I'm like, "Well, number one, it's an apothecary." Which doesn't seem like that big a deal, but anytime you heal like a wolf lord with a with a storm shield, like D three, anytime you get the opportunity to do that, it's like playing in the sprinkler. It's just bonus for no reason. Yeah. Like it's already Typically, a challenge. The characters kind of fire and forget them. They die right after they punch. But if you can set it up where they don't, it can become very annoying. Yeah, and and <laughs> when they do when they do get healed, people get really sad. <laughs> like it's sort of a psychological weapon too. And never underestimate the power of making your opponent feel like things are going bad for them. And I'm not saying I'm like unsporting or anything, but if they get in their own way mentally because they feel like a little deflated, like uh, it can work to your advantage, right? In the game where you know things are, you're just sort of stacking up little things on them that sort of make them think that they're losing, even if they're not necessarily losing. Um, or the other thing I do sometimes, which maybe is a sportsmanship issue, but I, I often tell my opponents that I feel bad about what's happening to the game and like I'm losing, even if I don't necessarily feel that way. <laughs> so, All right, we got John just admitting to lying to his opponents on the podcast. This is going well. All right? right. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I had a reputation in War Machine. Basically, they used to make fun of me for saying that this is a bad matchup because they're just like, I think I said everything was a bad matchup. And part of that is my own personal, I have a problem, like, when I evaluate matchups, I always feel like there's a lot of things my opponent can do to abuse me, and I feel genuinely like it's a bad matchup. And so, like, I I express that. And then 
it never ends up being as bad as I sort of think in my mind. Um, because I, I, the worst person to have on a team tournament setting. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so, John, what can you play against? Nothing. Nothing at all. My list is terrible. Then why are you? Why did you bring it? What's yeah, but I guess on the other the other side of that equation, Nick, you can be like, well, John's gonna. He thinks he's gonna lose anyway. We'll just throw him into the thing that nobody else wants, and then I might win because I won't know any better, right? So there you go. That has um, some value. All right. So, do you think your list can? Uh, Actually, let's let's first focus on ITC. So, what are there secondaries you normally kind of gravitate towards? Do you usually pick attack or defender? Do you have a preference? Like, how does this list want to play the mission? So, this list, what I really like about it is it, it can it's equally comfortable being attacker and defender. Um, obviously, depending on matchup, but I, I can definitely take a lot of board if I want to with impulsors and you know unloading marines and uh, um, sort of put your opponent on the back foot. I've definitely played games where I scored, you know, a lot of points early and it was just insurmountable um, where the, the person couldn't come back. Cause I obviously as the attacker, you have to act, but my preference is to play as the defender uh, because my, my list is really good at clearing off objectives. Like it's hard to stand on an objective when you've got three talent masters bearing down on objectives and can move to get line of sight on whatever, whatever objective that you choose to stand on. So it's it's often, and, and also the Thunderfires, right? But it's often not bad for me to get a hold more out of that situation just by clearing an objective and standing on a couple without having to give away a lot to stand on those objectives. Um, so attacker, defender, I you know the list is fast enough and flexible enough that I can play either. As far as like uh, secondaries, obviously those are all determined by. The kill secondaries are all determined by what's in my opponent's list, um, but I'm very happy to see any Horde-style lists because uh, Reaper is super easy for me to get, uh, typically. Um, if they have enough models, like, I'm going to kill I'm gonna kill all the models uh, just because the Talon Masters and the, the Thunderfires kill every trooper dead. Um, but as far as, like, the movement secondaries, I think that's where you have a lot of options. This list is very good at scoring ground control because I, I can play a conservative game and then on the last turn I can get on all the objectives because my stuff is fast. Like, you know, Talon Masters are fast. Everything has a jump pack. Impulsors are fast. So if I'm going second and I think you determine, you know, attacker, defender before you choose secondary. So um, ground control is one because I'm also playing a slow, I slow the game down, right? A lot of times I can make it so that you're like trying to figure out how to get into my castle and you know i'm shooting you off objectives and i'm getting my kills and maybe you're not getting kills uh so you know it's it's a very powerful option to be able to take ground control and feel good about it um i can i can play recon so if i'm playing in a game where i know that i'm coming across the table and i'm going to be aggressive and scoring points early as the attacker i'll take recon um, i have played engineers i don't love that one as much but it's pretty easy for me to like camp out with an impulsor for a little while until I need it and then, you know, drop some Marines uh, as the second. and Or I can use uh, an impulsor and that set of Marines to double score for a turn. Um, so Engineers engineers is pretty doable for me. Um, and then ones that I don't typically take are like behind enemy lines. Uh, I would consider Postman for, for like a Sammy or something um, just because he could do it. Uh, but I haven't really gotten to that point, but uh, you know, it's it's. I I have a lot of options for scoring movement secondaries. I'm pretty good at killing stuff. You know, 
like even like big game hunter, you might be like, well, John, you don't really have guns that kill kill things. And, well, I have a lot of power fists and a lot of attacks, so I tip over tanks actually pretty easy too, um, assuming I can get to them, which usually I can. Uh, so yeah, I feel pretty good. At, like secondaries, I have a lot. I just feel very good, very comfortable in being able to find secondaries that I can max in almost every matchup. And the what I really like about my list in ITC is I almost never give up a kill on turn one. Almost never. Um, if I deploy correctly, you know, attacker, defender, whatever. Uh, sometimes when I'm attacking out, I'll give up. If you can hide four impulsors and they don't have shooting to kill an impulsor, yeah. Yeah, well, a lot of times they don't, not, not even necessarily hiding, it's like hiding or range, you know, like if I'm the defender, yeah. the, the right. things that can hurt impulsors, like, and even, even if they have a few things that can hurt impulsors, a lot of times they don't kill it because the stupid four-up invul, the toughness seven, the 11, the, is it 11? Yeah, 11 it's, not, it's, not, yeah. uh, it's not just that they die, you know. Yeah. A lot of games. Yeah, so so like in, in ITC specifically, a lot of times I find myself getting kill more on turn one, um, getting parity and hold. Occasionally I get hold more, uh, depending on the the scenario, and then just putting my my opponent in a hole because they're like, well, now do I want to go for the bonus or do I want to like start putting stuff forward so that it just gets put into the meat grinder? Or like it just it creates situations. Like I've had opponents that have gone balls out, right? They get on every objective and then i just kill like 40 infantry in a turn or something and they're they're suddenly out of stuff to stand on objectives pretty quickly so um it plays itc pretty well <clears throat> awesome so my last question uh is going to be do you think this can translate to other formats well if you have any experience with other formats i don't see why not i mean it, it leverages a lot of powerful uh abilities right so here's how i would describe the list it's durable it's mobile it hits harder than it looks like i mean it's not a completely brutal like abuse you sort of amount of firepower or punching but it hits you hard enough in both to where like you can't ignore it like if you just take if you take six rounds of shooting from three thunderfires and three talon masters your army is pretty much going to be gone like it just it just is um and so and then also like the characters hit really hard so the, the, the list is very flexible. It has a lot of tools in its toolbox. And like I said, it's, it's very fast, so it can stand where it wants to stand. It's very durable, so like you, don't, you don't get punished too hard for misplacing an impulsor. Like you might lose an impulsor, but again, they're there to die. So. And the effort to kill an impulsor is way more uh, than the, uh, the payoff. Uh, I guess the other thing I would point out, too, in ITC, I forgot to say this, I want people to take Big Game Hunter because I want them to attack the impulsors anyway, uh, because it just soaks so many like attacks that it's not going into things I care about typically, um, and also slows down their kills, which allows me to get kill more a lot. But I don't know. You and John have way more experience than I do. Do you think that it, this list would play well in other uh, types of environments like Nova or um, what's the other one? The Atlanta guys they do their I forget what it's called or like uh, WTC. I'll take that one first, actually. Um, I think mission-wise, uh, you've built a, an army that's going to play to any mission set that's commonly used very well. Uh, I'm actually more interested in how you would handle different terrain formats. Um, you know, it, if you're doing a like, standard ITC or Nova format where you can very easily jam two impulsors into an L in the middle of the board, and then, you know, boom, you're good, you're hidden, they can't shoot your characters, that's awesome. And you've built a, a lot of your strategy around that mechanic, 
but there are going to be some formats such as WTC um, or you know plenty of plenty of other formats where there isn't that large central line of sight blocking terrain, and some people will kill the impulsors. Um, yeah, those would be the what, that would be what I think is yeah definitely the challenge for you. Yeah, that that would be challenging matchups, right? And force me to use the mobility of the list to kind of get into your face and do a lot of damage fast, um, which the list is capable of doing. Uh, it, it sort of depends on what they're using to kill the impulsors too, right? Like I, I played against um, a Tyranid list that had uh, obviously the Hive Guard and Triple Exocrine, right? That's a lot of shooting and impulsors melt to that. But because his list was so like pokey and slow um, for a Tyranid list, because uh, he didn't have any like gene stealers or anything really, and uh, you know the gaunts all died immediately. I was able to like get on all the objectives, and I built such a lead early. Like I lost almost everything in the army by the end of the game, and he was definitely ahead on attrition. But I scored five, I think, on turn two and turn three, and I scored the bonus, I think, three or four times in that game, and I ended up winning on on CP. And there there wasn't great places for me to hide impulsors, and they kind of evaporated pretty quick. It was a little bit scary. Uh, it's one of the reasons why uh, it caused me to start testing playing Deathwing Knights with a Ravenwing Apothecary because it gave me the option to, like, in a situation like that, get those Deathwing Knights dropped off and get a wrap. And then my characters are safe for a long time again because they're, they're not going anywhere. Um, particularly, like, uh, I did use that in a game where I got a wrap off with them against Tyranids again because one of my opponents is, is often a pretty good Tyranid player. Actually, Trevi, who was on last week. And I got a wrap with uh, Deathwing Knights, and I had a chaplain with the uh, uh, Mortal Wound um, save, the five up Feel No Pain to Mortal Wounds, which was frustrating him to no end because he, you know, that's a lot of the way he was wanting to dislodge them is with, uh, you know, a bunch of smite spam, and I just saved enough of them where he just couldn't couldn't get at me the way he wanted to. So, okay, well, I like that a lot. Then. Great. Well, that's pretty much all of my questions. Um, Mr. Lennon, do you have any other questions for John? Uh, no, I think that's all I have for this part. Awesome. So we'll hop into episode two where we're going to talk about the individual tactics for each specific matchup. And being that John has taken a toolbox army that adapts to its opponent, that's going to be a really interesting discussion. Uh, John Damaris, do you want to close it out for us here? Sure, absolutely. So everybody, as usual, thank you for joining us on this episode of The Art of War. This is part one where we talk about the strategy of the list um, and it's sort of like the overall uh, what it's designed to do. In part two, we actually get into individual matchups, talk about you know relics and psychic powers and litanies and uh, what, what are the most important things to accomplish in that mission um, or you know what scenario you're playing in. Uh, these are all things we talk about. And so it's basically the nuts and bolts of like how to play the list. So now we've talked about in this episode, sort of conceptually what it's about. The next episode is sort of like the devil in the details, you know, and all that. And you get access to that just by joining our Patreon. And our, I think we have over 45 uh, patron only episodes available for you. And it's $6 a month, totally worth it. Um, and as usual, we'd like to thank the frontline gaming network for hosting us where you probably found this podcast. If you're not a patron of ours and um, pass that, Come join our contest. Uh, the word that you use to uh, get a bonus entry in our contest is the word strategy. So 40kprizes.com, you enter the word, pri the, the word strategy into the uh, bonus word uh, for the Art of War podcast, 
and you will get five entries in our contest. So check that out. All right. As, as always, everyone, thanks for tuning in and have a great day. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K, hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.